0: Hey guys, John Paulemy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, July 2nd, and this is the weekly market update. First of all, I want to wish all of the subscribers and people watching the video uh, happy 4th of July, Independence Day on Monday, three-day weekend. This video is a little bit late on Saturday because of uh, some travel that I had during the week. So apologize for that, but as usual, we get it out no matter what. We do the work. And we make sure that we get the videos out. As usual, the disclaimer, anything that you hear or see on this podcast or video is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a financial planner. I'm not authorized to give you individual investment advice. Please do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to start off by talking about just some little uh, news items that we're starting to see that I think are interesting. Um, You know, the winter months are only, well, shall we say like five months away, right? So that's 150 days, give or take. And, you know, the plan... I don't understand what the plan is in Europe, you know, with the with gas. Um, as we've been seeing for various reasons, gas has been throttled back by Russia into Europe. Um, the we had the LNG uh, Freeport plant in the U.S. The export facility is down now for ninety to one hundred and twenty days that's going to decrease the ability to export to Europe. So I don't think there's a plan, but it sounds like, you know, and I would I would like to get some feedback in the comments from anybody that lives in Germany, but this news item is something that piqued my interest. Just in fear of freezing, wood stoves and firewood are in short supply nationwide in Germany. Quote, the market is empty. Gerd Muller head of the office of the German firewood association tells DPA, I didn't know there was a German firewood association. That's interesting. But like I said, you know, is there starting to, is panic starting to develop among the hoi polloi, the sheep, are they finally waking up to the fact that their leadership has taken them down a path where this winter could be one of deprivation? This is the question. I mean, I don't, know the future. I don't really know what the plan is. Um, I watched with interest the recent means, the two meetings that happened, uh, one in Madrid and then the one in St. Petersburg over the last week or so. And there was a big difference, I think, in the professionalism, leadership uh, view of the world, if you will. So I'm not going to get into that in this video, but I don't understand what Europe's plan is right now. Um, for this winter and subsequent to the winter, just economically, you know, I've listened to some pundits and with respect to the economics minister in Germany, for example, Robert Hobbick, uh, you know, I think he wants to destroy German industry, he's a green, he wants to decarbonize, he wants to deindustrialize Germany, so I don't think this is a problem for him, but what does the average German think about this? Are they conflicted about, especially if they support, you know, the green agenda and yet they can see their energy prices spiking, maybe their employer, what if they worked in a chemical plant or something like this or in an industrial facility? You know, Germany has many, many small to mid-sized companies that do everything from machine tool making to all kinds of heavy industry and very precise machining and things like this, metalworks. And what are they thinking about? you know what 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 are these people thinking about? so are they are they concerned at all? So that's why you know if if we have any German viewers like to get your input, I mean, are people starting to get desperate now or are they starting to plan because you know I, the German firewood association at least is saying that the market is empty, so it'll be interesting to see I like putting these things up not as to be provocative, but you know, individually, do they really matter? Probably not, but we're seeing every week I keep posting similar types of news vignettes that seem to be, you know, showing us a pattern developing here. So I I actually am going to make a prediction now. I would suggest to you that there's a very high likelihood that European governments will will... uh, resort to energy lockdowns as a way to conserve energy this winter. You know, there's no, the, the, this deal in Ukraine is not going well for the EU, for the United States. It's going spectacularly for the Russians. Um, Severodonetsk and Lizichansk have fallen now. The entire Ukrainian army is in retreat in the Donbass. Lugansk province has been fully liberated. I know people don't like that term. That's their term, not mine. Um, If you follow what's going on, there's no interest. No one talks about it anymore. The attention span's gone because it's not working. It's not working like we thought. Um, The central bank in Russia is going to have to lower rates over the next month or so because the ruble is so strong there now. Um, I've already seen apartment buildings starting to get rebuilt in Mariupol um I, wh- where 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 is Russia losing if somebody can explain that in the comments that would be interesting and there's no plan there's no plan to walk it back there's no plan I mean Lithuania you know went off on its own off the reservation little small Baltic Republic and cut or tried to restrict the um the rail lines into Lithuania from Russia or from uh into Kaliningrad from Russia, and the EU slapped them down. So, what is the plan in the EU? What are they doing? Uh, if you're living in the EU, what are you thinking as your energy bills go through the roof? As these type of news items um, come about, I mean, are you? How are people thinking about this over there? Do you have confidence in your leadership? Is there any? Le- I don't even. Wanna, I hesitate to call it leadership, and I'm not even trying to be funny. What is the plan? Um, every day that goes by that a deal isn't cut with the Russians, the negotiating uh, position of, of the Ukrainians and EU gets worse. So at what point you know, are they going to say, you know, but this is the problem, right? We've said this all along, you know, as other pundits have said, And I like this uh, terminology. These people have no reverse gear. They have no off-ramp. They never thought that it would go like this. They thought it would go the way they wanted it to go. And it's completely the opposite. It's a total disaster. So what is the plan? Uh, Throw more weapons in there, evidently. That's what they seem to be have agreed to. So we'll see. But uh, every day, you know, we've passed the summer solstice, solstice now, so the days become shorter. As we tick down to the cold months, and uh, this type of news is not um, not boding well for our friends in Germany. Uh, another vignette here, you know, I didn't get to put the whole article on because it was behind a paywall on The Wall Street Journal, but um, Biden plans to block new offshore oil drilling in the Atlantic and Pacific. He's going to uh, allow a little bit in the Gulf of Mexico. This is what I don't understand. I mean, these people are not stepping on the brake or trying to put things into the reverse gear. They're just going to go for it. They're just going to keep pushing on with the agenda. Um, I saw a tweet just before I got on and made this video where Mr. Biden, well, it's his handlers. He doesn't tweet himself, I'm sure, but uh, basically ordering gas stations to lower prices or else or else what? <laughs> I mean what are you going to do? I mean, these people in Europe are now talking about, I'm talking about the leaders when they had their recent meeting, they're going to put oil price caps on Russian oil. I mean, the lack of fundamental knowledge of economics 101, and these people are credentialed people. They went to very prestigious universities, yet they don't seem to understand that oil's pretty much fungible and that you can't, when you put price caps on things, you get shortages. But we'll see, we'll see if they're able to do it. Maybe they will be, maybe maybe they can uh, will it into, into happening just because. This is the problem I think is the arrogance of the West and so long, I mean, it's starting to be exposed as the paper tiger that I said it was. The, the United States, the EU, it's just all talk, all talk, 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 no action. Can't back up anything, can't do anything. And now it's being exposed um they basically with this whole situation in ukraine and the economic sanctions and this split in the world now we it's just more of what i thought would happen around uh this move from the unipolar world to a more multipolar world and people are just going to forget about the eu what you know the eu and the united states are you know economically significant but i would suggest in decline yet the rest of the world the southern hemisphere and asia are an ascent. And like I said, these are people in the, in the Southern Hemisphere or, or, and in the East that you know 20 years ago would knuckle under to the EU or to the United States. But they're now precocious teenagers getting ready to enter early adulthood, if you will. And they don't want to listen to the EU and the United States anymore. They don't have to. As their economies grew, their power is growing, and they now are starting to flex their muscles in realizing that I don't have to listen to these people. We can survive without them. So, a lot more on that to come down the down the pipeline. But uh, you know, you can't. The way that you deal with this problem with fuel prices is that you lower the restrictions on refining, you open up the drilling, you you know, you increase supply. You try to do everything you can to increase supply, and they're not going to do that because that's not consistent with their agenda. It's the same thing with the greens in Germany. I mean, they're in power. They can't, you know, uh, I've heard rumors that they are going to announce in Germany the the keeping the last three reactors online that were supposed to get shut down at the end of the year, and the greens are trying to find somebody in the coalition to take the hit on that, because, you know, if you've based your entire party th- thesis and theology and, and, and mission statement around getting rid of nuclear power, which is one of the things that they were famous for in Germany, the Greens, um, how, do you, how do you all of a sudden just change on a dime now? Uh, but that's what real leaders do. They're pragmatic. They look at the situation for the way it is, and they're not wedded to ideology, and if you're going to stay wedded to an ideology, if you're not going to be a statesman, if you're not going to be pragmatic, if you're not going to come up with a real plan and explain it to people, then they're just going to be, vo- just going to be cast out of office. The problem is, and especially in Europe, in my view, people can correct me if I'm wrong, is that the individual country parliaments don't have as much power as they used to. Most of the power, a lot of the power and a lot of the decision making is vested in Brussels in the commission. And so the individual parliaments can't really do much about it. Uh, And the commission is wedded to this, you know, decarbonization, deindustrialization of Europe uh, under the auspices of, you know, the climate change emergency. So we'll see what happens, but uh, I suggest to you, like I've said many times before, I believe this is going to be a a decade, at least a decade, maybe a couple decades of tremendous economic, social, and political turmoil around the world, and I think things are going to happen that people cannot currently predict. You know, I I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility that the EU will cease to exist as a political entity or a a, a change. It won't be in its current configuration forever. Uh, It just is not tenable uh, economically, so uh, we'll see uh, how it goes. So I wanted to talk about the newsletter performance. Um, It was not good. Uh, This has been one of the worst markets in history, this first half of 2022. Um, And this quarter, last quarter, was terrible. So the portfolio overall was down 20% in the quarter. Uh, That's against the S&P having losses of 15, well, basically 16% roundup, so... We were down 21% and the S&P was down 16%. This is the worst performance for the newsletter in its history. And what do I attribute it to? Well, you know, the country's in a recession. I'm going to go over a few charts and slides after this to explain what's going on. Uh, But, uh, you know, liquidity, there's a lack, you know, liquidity is tightening now. That's not positive for risk assets like stocks. Um, We have a strong dollar. That's not positive for, why do we have the strong dollar, right? Because in the dirty hamper, you know, the dollar is no special currency. The United States has a tremendous amount of problems. But if you compare it to Japan or the EU or or, or Great Britain and the pound or whatever, the other currencies, these things are all valued on a relative basis. And the United States dollar looks the best. And it's always been considered a, you know, the United States is a safe haven. So uh, I don't have time to get into what's going on in the EU, With monetary policy and the problems they have there, but or Japan, where you know the the continued you know central bank buying of of their uh, of their government bonds is now creating a you know situation where you know the currency is starting to collapse. You can't just create currency units in ad infinitum, and not have a problem with the value of the currency going down. And that's what we're starting to see. So a lot of people are pulling money out of these places and sending it to the United States. And that's why you see the dollar responding. I mean, we have higher rates here in the US. The interest rate differential is part of that. So that helps the dollar strong strength. But, you know, um, and then again, the last thing is volatility. I talked about this. I said we would have a tremendous amount of volatility this year. you had to be prepared for that. You had to rig for heavy weather. And I said that in the in the context of creating wealth, volat- you have to use volatility as your friend, not be driven out of the market and throw your hands up. You have to understand the cyclicality. You have to understand that in the short and medium term, markets are driven by sediment and liquidity. Both of those are not good. Those are headwinds now, not tailwinds as they were last year. And so we're in a period where stocks are going down. We're in a bear market. And what have I said at least 100 times on this channel and even in the newsletter? In a period where we're in a bear market for stocks, most stocks will go down, including ours. So if you look at the businesses themselves, quite a few of them are doing quite well. I'm pretty happy. Uh, we we purged uh, things out of the portfolio earlier in the quarter as indicators rolled over the base metals, gold before that. I'm still bullish on energy. Uh, energy prices are still fairly high for oil, natural gas, coal. Um, yes, uranium has been suffering, but uranium is a unique situation. The fundamentals have never looked better, but the market is so small, um, you know, and i warned people that if you were in the uranium market mostly speculating in crapco companies with no earnings no no sales no, nothing they were going to get shellacked in a in a period where liquidity would shrink so i suggested people should stick with buying the sprout trust or buying urnm which is going to get you a lot of the sprout trust in companies like Cameco and Kaz Atomprom. And even that's pulled back quite a bit. So, um, this is just part of the volatility that's going to go on. Um, but, you know, if you came in and bought some of these things, you know, at the beginning of the Q2, you're going to be down. And, but, you know, why did you buy them? It's time to go back to your journal that I told you to keep and understand that thesis as to why you are involved in these markets, these particular markets, and has that thesis changed. If the thesis hasn't changed, then uh, you may want to look at the current weakness as a uh, opportunity longer term. Remember, we're looking at these things in three to five year increments or decade long increments. We suggested, I suggested many times that there. are would probably be at least you know some cyclical weakness inside a secular bear market. The fundamentals of energy markets have not changed, okay? And so this is why this portfolio got crushed. I mean, all portfolios have got crushed. I mean, crypto's been wiped out, uh, real estate prices now, a lot of overvalued situations are uh, getting wiped out, or they're getting reconciled. and so Uh, This spills over. People get negative sentiment towards investing. Liquidity continues to shrink. Um, People that were attracted to uranium or some of the other more speculative parts of the resource market were probably some of your people that were involved in crypto. And as that evaporated, uh, they, you know, you're going to sell, right? And then people that are not initiated investors or speculators and don't understand what they're doing. They're just chasing shiny objects, uh, because it's going up. Um, if things are down 20 or 30%, they're going to, they're going to sell, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to play in the arena of junior resource stocks, you need to understand I've said this before too. Um, within the context of 365 days in a year, they can fluctuate fifty or more percent up and down. So with no change in the fundamentals, so that's why I say liquidity and sediment are very important to these type of markets. But even some of the stocks that I'm looking at, you know, I'm in no hurry to buy buy anything right now. Uh, depending on your temperament, depending on what you're what you're trying to do, I mean, cash is good. Cash, cash is a good. Somebody asked me, "What's my highest conviction?" Uh, position right now uh, at this point in time of the year, you know, July 1st or 2nd, whatever today is, it's cash. Um, We're not done with the tightening cycle. Uh, I'm going to show you some things in the slides coming up that I think that inflation is peaking out and why it is. And I think, you know, the Federal Reserve so bad wants to go on pause. They don't want to keep raising rates and break the economy and then have to deal with the fallout of that. They know they're not that... Obtuse, but um, you know, when is that going to happen? The bond market, which is quite a bit smarter than the stock market as far as anticipating future events in the markets, is already suggesting that inflation is peaked. So we'll take a look at some of those uh, slides coming up. But yeah, it's not. I'm not worried about this. I I, I understand that. You know, this just. Do you think in the current environment with the sediment the way it is that anybody's out drilling, you know, is there a massive investment boom in oil, and natural gas drilling? No, because the sediment's not good. People are worried about economy, the recession. And so that just drags out and intensifies the move that we are going to see as we stay in this energy crisis. Yes, central banks can remove liquidity. They can raise rates. They can cause recessions. They can cause demand to be strangled. They cannot create new barrels of oil. They cannot create more food. And so those fundamental issues around supply for those things that keep us alive have not been fixed. So what we're seeing is an economy in recession. The United States economy is in a recession right now. Okay. It's recessions are always declared after the fact. But the way the the numbers are showing that we're in a manufacturing recession already, more than likely you're going to see over the summer and into the fall an earnings recession as earnings start pulling in. Um, And why is that? Because, you know, I'll show that in a chart coming up too. So, or why I think it is. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with just sitting here for a while and seeing how things play out. You know, are they going to raise, are they going to go another 75 basis points? Yes. Um, And then if inflation rolls over, like I said, Depending on what the inflation rates look like through the summer, if they start to peak or roll over, don't be be surprised if later in the fall, and this is the basis that I'm operating from, that the Fed goes on pause. And then the bond market is already suggesting that they begin cutting rates again in early 2023. So uh, if they pause, the market's going to scream because people are seeing what's happening. But you know, we haven't had enough purging of excess yet either. That needs to continue for a while. It is continuing, uh, but it's amazing to me that even, you know, with a recession you know coppers rolled over, it's under four bucks now, Dr. Copper. Uh, it looks very negative on the charts. My, my charts, my indicators were picking it up about a, over about a month ago. We got out. Um, base metals are, are deteriorating. Uh, so we, you know, but that, like I said, those longer term supply and demand uh, fundamentals have not been fixed. And so the, this is a cyclical pullback within the context of a secular, secular being longer term, you know, three, five, 10 year bull market. That's, that's my view. I know that's not comforting. People might think, well, this is BS, but I'm just telling you how this works in my mind and what my thesis is. If you have another thesis, you know, go into the comments and let me know what that is. Tell me what I'm missing, you know, but I don't trade. I'm not a trader. I've never been successful. Uh, So if I see a trend change or something major in my indicators, yes, I'll sell things, but, you know, I don't, um, I don't, you know, I don't try to do ends in and out all it's, it's just it's too difficult you have to you have to be too accurate it's too difficult to be that accurate it's a lot easier to catch the overall longer term secular trend than it is to try to play every wiggle in the chart and so here we go right this is the you know u.s markets winning again in first half of 2022 nasdaq posted its biggest drop in history that's just in the first half i mean that's pretty significant guys That shows you how overvalued things were. The Dow had the biggest drop since 1962. And the S&P, the biggest drop since 1970. So we are, you know, for a lot of younger guys that watch this channel, now you're seeing what a bear market is. A lot of people never experienced this before. Okay. And so you are in uncharted territory, intellectually, emotionally, emotionally. You don't know what's happening. Why is this happening? And then you have a tendency to drift into the common mistakes of, well, I'm going buy to the, buy the dip. There'll be a time to buy. It's not now. When you have sediment and liquidity negative and working against you, you don't buy. Because you can buy something that's down significantly, and guess what? It can go down even more. And that's what I think we're going to see through the summer. So this is from Ned Davis Research. I like this. This is basically a history of bear markets, Dow Jones Industrial Average from 1900 to present. So they have every single bear market here. And so what it shows you is, here's the percent loss. You know, negative 10 percent, negative 80. You know, you had 1932, the depression, you were down 85 or 90 percent. These the amount of market days from the start to the end. Um, this right here is your mean bear market, the mean down uh, for a cyclical bear market coinciding with a recession, um, which is typically 34.6% loss over 353 days. Uh, the black square is the mean for all bear markets because you don't necessarily have a recession coinciding with every bear market. And so this black circle is where we're at. So we're, you know, a hundred days into this, a little bit over a hundred days, and we're down 20% on the Dow. This is the Dow. And so, you know, we need to see, you know, if we don't have a recession, this would be the mean for a cyclical bear independent of a recession, 25% loss over 207 days. We're here. This would be the mean for, so if we don't have a recession, this would be, you know, where we need to head to. And we're nowhere near that yet. That's about a 25% loss over 200 days, call it. The next would be mean for all bear markets. This would be for all bear markets right here. And so you can see that that's about a little bit over a 30% loss in the Dow over a period of about 280 days. Um, It actually says here 31% loss over 299 days. And this is the mean. For cyclical bears coinciding with the recession, uh, this would be 34% loss over 353 days. So you can see the cluster is in this zone. Um, I don't think this is 2008 all over again. Here's the 2009, 2008, 2009 situation where you were down you know, 55% over basically 330 days. But you can see most of this is, clustering at about a 30% loss sometime within a year to year and a half. So we have some more time to go here. The bear market can continue. I suggest to you it will. What you will typically see is a lot of oversold situations. Uh, People jump in and short, that forces the market down even more. And then you have these periodic, very violent, short-term short covering rallies. And then you have a lot of people, especially in the financial media, calling the bottom, telling you that uh, this is the bottom. And then of course, you might have a 10 or 15% uh, or less, maybe 8, 10, 15% run in the market over a period of several weeks or a month or a couple months. And then the bear market resumes. Those are called bull traps. And you can look at any bear market. You could take this chart and look up these bear markets on any type of charting. And you could see you could see the uh, how that works. And so this is not a period right now to be very um, daring. There's what 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 you should be doing now, if you're a long-term investor now, this is differentiating between speculation. This is where the wealth is created, okay? What do I mean? Because there's businesses out there that are continuing to work well. I'm already making, I have my list, I'm already making my list. And all that's happening is that the price is coming down because it's a market of stocks. It's a stock market. And as the stock market goes down, it drags down most stocks, right? That gravity, that, as rates go up, um, as recession comes in, like I said, we've had a margin compression that's already happened, bear market. And now we're getting ready to, as we enter the recession, uh, earnings will begin to go down, and those will be reflected in even lower stock prices. And so eventually, that bottoms. uh, Eventually, the Federal Reserve will reverse policy. Uh, Sediment will bottom. uh, All the sellers will have sold. And that will be the time. Remember, you're not pitching baseball cards here, guys. These are businesses. And so we should be grateful when we see pullbacks, Okay, We don't want to, as differentiating from speculation, I'm talking about for long-term investing. If these things come in the businesses don't really change there's going to be quite a few businesses that are going to roll right through because they have a certain business that's certainly not going to be affected uh, you know harley Davidson is going to be affected rv manufacturers are going to be affected you know discretionary spending type companies are going to be greatly affected there's other companies that produce things and goods that are required for you know life and civilization and and, and things like that that will you know maybe take a small hit But their valuation will become they will become undervalued, and that will be the time to buy them at some point in the future. So making that list, creating that list, coming up with that kind of companies and finding them. This is what you should be doing right now. You shouldn't be in a hurry to buy. There's no hurry. And uh, if you want to read a good book, there's a good book. uh, I'll put the link to it in the. It's by I'm I'm rereading it now. It's by Marty Zweig. It it basically talks about. um, I mean, he's long gone. He was a big trader back when I was a very young and talking about the whole how sediment and monetary policy kind of you need to pay attention to. And so like I said, you know, if you're going to buy this is how Warren Buffett and people like him become very wealthy. You they wait for these type of situations. And then if you have liquidity, then you're able to step in and buy really nice businesses because that's how you become wealthy, right? You you either start a business yourself that's profitable and then you compound the profits over time into building the business, or you buy shares in a company that's able to do that. And so if the price of the companies are compressing, but the prospects of the company are the same, are going to get, you know, stay the same or stay good over a long period of time, you should be looking for that. And so this is another example from Jesse Felder. Uh, The 10-year treasury just had their worst first half since 1788. (laughs) That's wild. Just before George Washington became president. So typically, you know, when the stock market has declined, many people have sought refuge in government bonds, right? Because they're looked at as being a risk-free asset. But that hasn't been a very good place to hide either. As you can see, we've had a lot of carnage in the bond market. As a matter of fact, the the situation I described like a week or two ago in one of the videos of buying the high-yield short fund You know, I'm wondering as we get into this earnings recession, when the dead bodies are going to start floating up to the top. What I mean by that, these companies that were surviving on low interest rates and now, you know, as the economy goes into recession, their ability to cash flow sufficient to service their debt will be coming into question. And so we will start seeing, uh, you know, I'm wondering if we will see, shall I say, uh a default cycle began with some of these companies so it'll be interesting to watch that uh that uh, symbol was sjb it's a pro shares short high yield fund um so that's done very well if you look at the chart i think it's a, it's not something that's going to double or triple uh but it's something you know uh, you know i've been i bought a ten thousand dollar allotment which is allowed to buy you know if you go to treasury direct you can buy ten thousand dollars each individual in the I bonds and you're getting like nine over 9% on those. So there's little things you can do these little rifle shots. You can take you pick off a few things here and there, but this is not the time to go crazy buying, you know, buying the freaking dip, as they say, uh, the time is to be defensive, uh, has been that way for a little bit and to, you know, start getting your shopping list together of companies that you want to buy, uh, you know, I mean, some of the biggest periods of innovation and profit growth have happened during recession slash depression. So there will be companies that become undervalued that are tremendous businesses, and that opportunity will come. But I just wanted to show this because this is another example. There's been nowhere to hide, really. So this is a Bloomberg article. It's an opinion piece. I will put it up. I suggest you read it. I kind of liked it. Um, not because it's you know, there's two schools of thought out there right now. The, the, my thesis, my base case, which is that uh, I think the Fed goes another 75 basis points at the next meeting. Um, if inflation begins to roll over in, you know, later in the summer, uh, starts printing lower, then I think they'll want to, go if they get two months back-to-back decreases in inflation, which I think they'll, in the CPI, uh, and I think they will. Uh, then they're going to want to go on they're going to pause, they're going to want to say, well, let's see what's happening, let's, you know, we don't want to go too crazy. And that will like kick off like this big rally, in my view. And then, uh, you know, the economy will continue to uh, be in recession. Uh, and then the profits recession, earnings recession, which will force prices down lower, but then you will be into that period of early 2023, when I think they enter their next uh, liquidity cycle. And then you have the other school of thought that Mr. Powell is Paul Volcker reincarnated, and he's just going to ramp rates up until he crushes inflation. I just don't see that um, with the economy. It's two different setups. I mean, it's not the 1970s. The debts are so large in the world right now. um, The dollar would scream higher. That would crush emerging markets. That would create emerging markets crisis. So basically, you know, the Fed doesn't have to just look at what happens in the United States. It's the central banker of the world almost now. And so I think, like I said, they don't really want to really raise rates if they don't have to. They, you know, the the Federal Reserve is an inflation machine. It wants to create more money. It wants to, you know, do what it likes to do, which is, you know, print money and do these things. I mean, they're, they're, they're basically trapped now. So you know, this idea that they're going to raise rates to above the the level of inflation. I mean, I don't buy it. I don't think they can do it without creating a deflationary depression. Uh, I know that some people think that. There's some conspiracy type people that think that, you know, this is a battle against Davos and the ECB, and they're going to raise rates and crush the ECB and dot da- the Davos crowd and have their full independence. Look, man, this is like these people are political animals. And if we're in a recession, I mean, we're going to be in a known, acknowledged recession coming up on the midterms, which are in November. That's another four or five months away. Let's see, uh, July, August. Yeah, four months. You know, the Democrats are going to get wiped out, it's looking like, okay, because these policies are, are ridiculous uh, that they're promulgating. And then, you know, the, the 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 political pressure to do something is going to be very high, let's put it that way. So, Anyways, uh, this is a Bloomberg article, a couple takeaways. Inflation almost seems passe. I mean, basically up here are the title of the slide, economic weakness now supersedes inflation as the market's main worry. Yeah, I, I think that's the case. Inflation almost seems passe. The worry of the moment is now economic growth. That's not unreasonable. As the latest update shows, U.S. gross domest- domestic product declined at an annualized rate of 1.6% in the first quarter. With the huge exceptions of the COVID-scarred first two quarters of 2020, this was the weakest U.S. growth since the spring of 2009. Yeah, because the sugar high of fiscal spending uh, has went away. I mean, all the free money went away. That's reversed. So that's way, that was way outside the mean on the top. And so now as you retard that uh, liquidity and pull back from that free money, um, of course, that's what you're going to see and I'll show that on an upcoming chart. That's why consumer sentiment crashed, because, you know, that's why, you know, well, I'll show you, consumption's decreasing. The problem is that inflation forecasts have shifted because growth forecasts are also shifting. With the recession now named as a base case for many next year, the belief is gaining greater hold that the Fed will hike rates by a further two percentage points, but then swiftly start cutting again. I don't, I'm not sure they get two more percentage points. We'll have to see. I mean, I'm not going to predict what the Fed's going to do. It's difficult to say. But I think this recession's going to come on pretty quick. Thing to watch is, like, like I said, the Purchasing Managers Index. When this thing gets under 50 is usually when the Fed starts trying to get into an easing cycle. I mean, we've seen it before. Jerome Powell, we saw it in 2018 during the repo crisis. He was raising rates, and he flipped it on a, a dime. I mean, I remember it vividly. To say that he wouldn't do that again you know, and I think that, you know, they won't have a problem explaining away, you know, you're not going to be able to explain away eight and a half percent inflation, but if they get inflation, you know, down to four, four a half, five percent I think they'll create a narrative where that's acceptable. Uh, we'll see. Uh, but, uh, you know, I think that's not going to have a choice at that point. I mean, uh, they're not just going to keep raising rates like they're Volcker. I mean, if that was the case and inflation was going to get out of control, why would they just raise rates, surprise rate increase, do 1% or 2%, boom, get it over with? Because the economy would go into a deflationary depression. That's why. Market would go down 50% in a, like you know, a week. That's why they don't do it. They don't want to, you know, they're, th- they're trying to nuance this soft landing. And if you believe that, then you believe that inflation last year was transitory. And so, here's what it talks about in the article. This is the uh, five-year break evens for inflation uh, bonds, and it's already showing that uh, the break-even inflation or the break-even rate is you know 2.2 percent on inflation. So this is already rolling, starting to roll over. Uh, so the five-year break evens are now below their pre-pandemic levels. So that's a good thing, and that's you know the bond market. People in the bond market are usually better. Able will for the most part of forecasting, you know, the economy better than the stock market is. Uh, So we'll see what happens, but um, you know, right now, you you know, you have commodity prices going down, you have economic, you know, the consumers being squeezed. It's an 80% consumer economy. Things are going to roll over. Price cuts are going to come in and these things will start feeding through the economy. Now, the other unknowns are energy and, food they're such large components of cpi um but you know that's part of the i think the shenanigans they will be played well these are excluding food and energy you remember they like to say that all the time because they're so they move up they move around so much we can't we can't uh, include them you know that's i think that's the game that will be played but we'll see but uh, i suggest you read this article it uh, makes some good points could be some confirmation bias on my point but we're not going to be in any hyperinflation. Uh, inflation, I mean, even energy prices have pulled back. So you have to take these things into consideration. Um, this is a big reason why. Um, I'm going to put a, this is a really good thread. This is just the first tweet in thread. I will put this thread and link to it. I suggest you read it. You know, if you're planning on buying a new vehicle or even a slightly used one soon, you should wait because prices are going to crash because, it's going to be Armageddon in the car market. They were just giving cars away. You know, used car prices are collapsing now. and uh, basically, you know, as people can't afford them. I mean, people were out there buying things with their STEMI checks. And you know the guy kind of explains in this uh, this Graham Stephan, he explains in the tweet thread about how the lending standards were really, really low for people to buy cars. I mean they're basically if you could if you could fog a mirror you could get a car loan. This is like the real estate market in 2008. I don't it's not going to cause an economic wide conflagration like the collapsing real estate market did. But what it will do is cause the prices of vehicles to collapse. You know, I'm looking I want to buy I would like to buy one of these new Broncos. I really like them, but I'm not going to pay what they are now. I think if I wait uh, I'll be able to go to the lot and you know and get get a vehicle that got repossessed, you know, with a few thousand miles on it. So basically, this says here the used car market is on the brink of an auto loan collapse that can shake the entire industry. I am shocked that more people are not talking about this. We are facing a 208ish scenario in the used car market, and honestly, it's a disaster waiting to happen. I suggest you look at the whole thread. It's pretty good. Uh, this is one of the major reasons, this was a major component, a very large component, uh, auto prices are, of them going up because of the supply chain issues causing a shortage, plus all the stimmy checks. You had a lot of people buying vehicles that probably couldn't, shouldn't have bought a vehicle, and now they can't pay for these vehicles, and you know we're seeing s- several things. You're going to see repossessions, there's going to be oversupply of used cars, used car prices have already been down, I think, three or four months in a row. Plus, you're seeing the supply chain issues that were causing manufacturing slowdowns in new vehicles. Those are beginning to dissipate. And so you're going to have this confluence of events that's going to cause prices to be soft in cars. And so why is this a big deal? Well, if you go to, I went to the uh, Bureau of Labor Standards that does the calculations for CPI, and you can see that the importance, well, at least of December 2021, when they last... uh, this last information I could get, the relative importance in CPI is t- almost, you know, is 9%. The price, And it's like 4% new vehicles, 4% used vehicles and trucks, and then, you know, small percentage of leased cars. So these price rises we've seen in vehicle prices have been a, you know, almost a, a 9% component of CPI. Those That has reversed now. That has reversed Commodities are now rolled over, okay. Um, energy prices have softened, even though they're still relatively high. They've softened. Um housing prices are coming off now, okay? because the market took rates up to on mortgages up five, six percent, and that priced that caused pricing a lot of people out of the market. So prices are softening already. If you look do some Zillow checks, I think you'll see that. Some major areas around the country. I've done, you know, playing around on Zillow. You can see where they lower prices on a property. Uh, you know, it's kind of interesting to look at that. Um, so, I mean, obviously at the higher end, people that are wealthy don't care, but I'm talking about like first-time home buyers, millennial people that are trying to start families. Um, they're going to have to wait till the next, you know, till rates get better to get the prices Maybe uh, down so that their payments uh, are, are more reasonable, shall we say. But all of these things are going to together, not singularly, but together are going to help weaken CPI. CPI will go down. Uh, again, food and energy may be, may be the exception as we go later on into the year. And so here's the real problem, right? The United States economy is a consumption-based economy. 80% of the economic activity is based on consumption and real personal consumption expenditures for goods going back, well, at least to 2004 in this chart. Again, you can go to FRED. This is the St. Louis Fed website where you can get all the data models you want forever since they've been computing them. But this is just something I grabbed off Twitter because I thought it made a good... uh, a good uh, point of what I wanted to make. This is the great financial crisis when you saw how far consumption dropped uh, and you see where we're at. This is the big sugar high where we threw everything against the wall, including the kitchen sink, physical spending, sending out checks to people, $6 trillion. Uh, The Fed was in there buying everything. Liquidity was flowing. And so people had a lot of money People were sitting on their butt watching Netflix and getting unemployment. Um, some people were still working. Everybody was getting checks. You remember that. I don't have to explain it. And so people were flush. And the average person, uh, cud chewer, goes out and spends money. They don't save it or pay down their debt. And so what has happened is that's all went away. Now you have to go back to work. Uh, the party is over. The hangover now comes. And you see it's, you know, it's a sugar high. Uh, it's like glucose spiking, right? If you eat a lot of sugar, your glucose spikes and then it comes straight down. And this is where we're at. We're negative now. And this is not, this is not conducive. And this is going to overshoot to the downside now, in my view, um, as this recessionary forces come into play. And that's why I think you're also going to see prices roll over. And I think that's what the bond market is already forecasting, a rate cut in early, in the first half of 2023. Uh, so, you know. That's why I say keep your powder dry. There's no hurry. The Fed's going to put risk back on. They're going to cut rates. They're going to start printing money again. It's going to take some time. But like I said, these things that we're holding, I think energy and you know some of these risk assets that really need uh, the liquidity and sediment in the sales as a as a as a tailwind, they're going to rip when they reverse course. So, you know, be be aware of that. When that happens, I don't know. I can't predict that. But this is very instructive of what's happening. You know, that's why these people are going to have to turn their cars and that's why you're having a Carmageddon in the the previous slide we were talking about, you know, that's why you're having this. That's why I think you should really look at these tweet uh, threads that I'm going to put links to so that you understand what is happening. And this is, you know, this is being tracked. The Fed sees this too. Everybody sees this. If you're telling me that they're going to raise rates two or three percentage points into this, I, I, I don't buy it. I just simply don't buy it, but, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe Paul, maybe Mr. Powell is the reincarnation of Paul Volcker. I doubt it. He hasn't shown. No central bankers have shown me that since I've been investing. They're all political animals, and they don't want to be blamed for anything. And they serve their masters, the bankers and the wealthy class that are asset holders. So. Eventually, you get to the point where assets become cheap. If you have liquidity, if you have cash, you're able to buy. So I'm trying to tell you, that's how and then the cycle starts again. I mean, I don't mean to be crass or cynical, but this is how it works. And so there's a big problem in France. You know, one of the things I was touting before until I started researching it a little bit more was the fact that, you know, France had such, had done such a big build out of nuclear power that they were semi or very insulated from what was happening with this recent, uh, gas situation from, from Russia and some of the other energy things, you know, having a, just because they got whatever decisions were made back in the sixties and seventies, when they built all these reactors out in the eighties, um, they got the benefit of that. But the problem is now evidently that, they have all these maintenance issues and their their nuclear plants are not running uh, at, at, at at very high capacity factors. As a matter of fact, there's a is a tweet by Alexander Stahill, because the market lost trust in EDFs, that's the big utility in France, and EDF's management to fix the maintenance issues in time for winter, France's nuclear power runs at a dismal 46.5% capacity utilization. Best to fix it, Emmanuel Macron. Oil is not your problem. Power is. And um if you go, there's a I put this tweet thread on there too. There's like four or five tweets, but it actually shows, I mean, there's like a list of 10 or 15 reactors that are in that are down for maintenance that are supposed to come online. I mean, what is going on? I mean, I haven't delved deep enough into this, but you know, this is unacceptable. I mean, this is not. This is not top-line nuclear availability uh, or capacity uh, factors. This is crazy. 46.5% people should be fired. I don't know exactly what's going on or why this is. Um, If it's by design or just ineptitude or confluence of events, I'm not exactly sure. If you're from France, if you're familiar with the nuclear industry in France, or if you have some connections with EDF and you know what's going on. I think we would all be interested in hearing about that in the comments, um, because this is not not cool. You know, France had that advantage, and if the plants are not able to run at the design capacity utilizations, then it kind of defeats the purpose. And so why am I so bullish on energy? Because this is a chart of energy consumption, uh, going back to... 1965 and it's a relentless increase and here's you know it's all broken up coal oil natural gas uh nuclear is in here somewhere i believe right here um i don't know i can't see all of the different colors regardless what you will notice is you know coal was the initial power source for the industrial revolution and you know we're going to get rid of coal but if you notice it's kind of leveled off it's like even with the growth of renewables okay coal doesn't go away it's actually ticking up now right and so is gas because the demand for fuel and energy goes up why because as i've said before every activity that humans do is a derivative of energy and so as we add more emerging markets as people become wealthier, as they enter their S-curve of resource consumption in Indonesia and India and China and the Philippines. This can all be put on a spreadsheet and charted their, you know, their activities, getting air conditioners, getting more fertilizer plants. We talked about that last week. You know, The EU is trying to stop fertilizer plants from getting built in Africa because of climate change. This is a wave that Ursula von der Leyen and the EU cannot stop the southern hemisphere the developing nations the emerging markets that have you know 80% of the world's population are not going to be stopped from having a better quality of life and that requires tremendous amounts of energy inputs i've said that over and over that's why i'm bullish that's why this small cyclical period of downturn doesn't bother me because so many countries now are entering their s curves where their wealth is getting to a sufficient level where their energy consumption begins to go parabolic not only just energy consumption but overall resource consumption and that's what we're seeing and no matter what i think there's been like two periods in the last 50 years where and we've talked about this before in a previous video where energy price where energy consumption actually went down i think it was the 2008 great financial crisis and like the 1932 depression and that was like one year something like that So it's relentless, right? Because humans are the same everywhere. The population has increased, wealth increases, people's desires to have conveniences, to have a better quality of life is all dependent on energy inputs. And so people are going to, you know, in a place like, you know, sub-Saharan Africa where people are burning animal dung, you know, electrification is going to be done not with solar panels and wind farms. It's going to be done with coal. Why? Because the fuel is ubiquitous. It's cheap. The plants are easy to build. They can be built very quickly. And coal can be stored and moved very easily. That's why it's used. It's not a conspiracy against you know your children. It's just the easiest f- fuel to, to use. And so that's why it's not going to go away. What's interesting is, is this is why I've said before why coal is such an opportunity for us over the longer term. You know, you're not going to be able to build very many, you know, new coal mines um, because of ESG, because banks won't finance them, because the IMF won't finance them, you know, the Asian Development Bank won't finance them, but the demand for coal will be at least stable. You see here it's at least stabilized over the last decade. And now it's slightly turning up, but the ability to add new supply is not there. So you're in a situation, again, economics, macroeconomics 101, if supply is declining or status static as it is now with coal, yet the, the demand increases, well, the price has to go higher to ration. And typically the economic response would be build more coal mines, but if you're going to artificially suppress that, uh, through pol- political intervention in the economy, by not allowing permitting, not allowing new mines, or financially by not insuring them or being able to get financing for them, then you've got a situation where a tremendous opportunity exists for those that understand what is happening. Because as I've s- said, and you can see from this chart, the, the human progress, the desire to have a better life is relentless. Okay. The longest trend in the investment world is the ascent of man, and it's not going to change anytime soon. This is why I find it laughable that places like in the West, we are self-limiting ourselves as our global competitors are not going to hang a millstone around their necks as they try to swim a 100, 100-meter 100, 100 sprint in a pool. If you put a 10 pound weight around your body and your competitor doesn't have that, you're going to lose. And that's what we're doing. So this is the other thing I wanted to point out. Um, this is another thread that I'll put there. A lot of good threads this week. Uh, a lot of smart people on Twitter, a lot of good work being done. Um, there's also a very good paper at the Manhattan Institute written by Mark Mills, I believe, about the, kind of, the amount of mining that is required to do this energy transition. Again, you can go look in, the, in my um, playlist and there's an interview with Dr. Michael Kelly, who is the professor emeritus of engineering from Cambridge University. And This is exactly what we talked about. How does this work in real life? How do you have an energy transition that's mostly, um, as I've said before, renewable energy is not is the sun and the wind are not going to go away for billions of years until the sun exhausts its hydrogen fuel supply. That, 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 that is true, but it's, it's, it's got an asterisk on it, right? Because the machines and devices that are required to capture and convert that energy are not renewable. And so this is your stumbling block. And so this Ed Conway says it very succinctly here, the inconvenient truth about climate change is that solving it will involve digging, blasting, and leaching more minerals from the skin of this planet than ever before. No one much likes to talk about this, but talk about it we must. Again, goes back to the thesis of this channel and my investing style, heads we win, tails we win more as the emerging markets use legacy fossil fuels to develop, we win. And as the West continues down the road of trying to fix climate change via intensive renewable energy development, we win there simply because uh, you can't will solar farms and wind farms into existence. They have to be built with materials that come from the ground. And if the same politicians that want a transition will not allow mining and development and the supply of those minerals, then you're going to have a problem. And that is what we are starting to see right now. And so this creates these distortions in the market caused by these politicians, caused by these thinkers, so-called leaders, are what leads to the opportunities that we have. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Uh, Appreciate your um, support channel continues to grow, 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 and uh, look forward to interacting with you in the comments. Uh, Appreciate your viewership, and we'll talk to you next week.